Well, thank you for joining us this morning at HBF. It is good to see you. And uh, actually, I can't see you, but you can see me. And uh, it is good uh, that uh, we are gathered together. I'm so glad that God is way ahead of all of this and is omnipresent. So uh, he is there with you and, and, uh, and he is here with me as well. I want you to, if you have a Bible, be turned to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24. And uh, I appreciate the fact that there are many, uh, I, I welcome each week uh, virtually that come in through the live stream. And this week, many of the folks that uh, are typically here are watching and now they get a, an idea of what it's like uh, if they've never watched from home. So I do appreciate everybody that is watching from home. What a difference 12 days makes. I tell you what, 12 days is a big amount of time and a lot of things can happen. Uh, 12 hours uh, can cause a lot of things to happen. And 12 minutes, you know, things can change so rapidly. This time last week, uh, I was uh, planning to be in Atlanta uh, by 5 o'clock in the evening. Uh, I changed my mind, uh, repented, and decided to stay. By the time I got home, uh, you know, we had gone from a situation where we could meet with 100 people in this room down to 50, and then uh, 24 hours later, uh, in less than 24 hours, it was down to 10 uh, per room. And of course, now uh, it is uh, probably heading more toward home quarantine uh, all the time. So things change uh, a lot in a hurry. Um, You know, in our culture right now, I think there's as much anxiety over uh, the changes than there is the actual virus itself. Uh, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty that is caused and, and could be causing people to say, what's next? What is coming next? And uh, today, many are asking that question. What is next? Because you really don't know. There's always a new announcement. There's always something new. And, and there's an uncertainty, not knowing. I just read a statistic last night that uh, over 90% of the people who think that they do have coronavirus and are tested, end up finding out they don't have the coronavirus. And yet there are many, of course, who will probably get it and, and never know it. And some of those lives will obviously be affected in a negative way by it. So uh, this morning, uh, instead of uh, talking more about coronavirus, I don't know about you, I've, I've heard a lot about it. I've heard plenty. So I wanted to just take and, and take our focus off of the things below and focus on things above for just the next you know 50 minutes or so. And encourage you in the Word of God. Uh, we've been in a sermon series in the book of Acts, and I'm not deviating from that because we're on a mission here at HBF and we're going somewhere. We exist to equip the saints of God and the Word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God. And how we do that this morning might be a little different. I hope you have your family gathered up and you're all together and you're uh, viewing this morning. So it looks a little different, but we're still equipping, we're still building the saints, and we're still doing that with the Word of God, and we want to make sure that we're utilizing this opportunity to, to minister to our neighbors, and we're just doing it a little differently uh, this, uh, this, through this season of, of concern, but the reality is we are here to equip the saints of God in the Word of God to accomplish God's mission in His power, and it's still possible, I believe with all my heart, for God to get uh, not only through the, get us through this, but actually for us to a triumph over trouble, as I've been talking about for the last several weeks out of the book of Acts. I believe that God can use all these things, because Romans 8 tells us that all these things work together for good, right? To them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So uh, we've been in this sermon series called the, uh, the uh, Discovering Our DNA. And Discovering Our DNA is, is really about what we see in the book of Acts, the inception of the church, the birth of the church. And of course, uh, just as sin was passed down from Adam to every man, so uh, as we are born again, Christ, we are, we're called to pass on his DNA through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from the first century till now, we've been faithful in doing that. We've been discovering how God did that in the first century. 
And a lot of the way they did church in the first century is really like we're doing it right now. It was done in homes, and it was done also in large congregations. We, hit, we see both of those things in the book of Acts. And so the church is flexible. We're able to deal with these things. And, and this is such a great time to be discussing the topic of what's next, because the church of, uh, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ was birthed in uncertainty. The, the precious promises of our New Testament, uh, they were not written in a time where everything was just calm and tranquil. They were written under a lot of, uh, uh, in a lot of turbulence and a lot of pressure. Yet, it's incredible the peace that they bring. And we've learned the past several weeks that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, quoting from Isaiah 54 and verse 17. We've learned that, nay, in all things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us, in Romans 8.37. We've learned that God gives us an ability to triumph in trouble, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. And that passage says, now, we, now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Man, we know if you're from Kansas City, it's good to be a winner. Hey, we waited 50 years to be a winner and to be in triumphant mode. And man, I tell you what, that's just a picture. That's just a slice. That goes away and has to start over. But in Christ, you, have, you can be triumphant uh, as soon as you get saved until you get, to the, to, uh, uh, you get out of this body. You get raptured or resurrected and you get in the third heaven, you go on for eternity, there really is no end to the victory that we have in Christ. But nonetheless, we wrestle with fear. Even Paul wrestled in fear. There's a, there's a passage where Paul even talks about being in much fear. The, the man who wrote 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, yet he was honest, and he says, At times I'm fearful. But what has God given us? The, he's given us the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. He has given us what we need for any time part of our DNA. It's part of who God made us to be. And as we approach Acts 24 this morning, Paul is um, the only one in our story, other than Jesus Christ, who actually knows what's next. What's next? When you think about that, wouldn't you like to know what's next? I just heard on the news about some uh, politicians that are in trouble right now because uh, they understood what was coming through this coronavirus. And now uh, they're getting investigated because, well, they knew what was coming next. Uh, they, they started moving their stocks and moving all the, their portfolios around. And, and all of a sudden, people are going, wait a minute, why, why were you selling everything off? You knew what was coming. There's some advantages to knowing what's next. Paul doesn't know every detail of what's coming next, but he was visited in Acts chapter 23 and verse 11 by a very special uh, visitor while he was incarcerated. And that, that guest, of course, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he encouraged Paul after his, his trial with Ananias. And he came to him at night. And the Bible says he stood by him. And, and this is what he said to Paul. He said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for thou hast test, as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. You see, Paul knew what was coming next. Paul understood that God had a plan for his life. Paul understood that he was on a mission with God and that, that in spite of all the trouble that he was going through, God was going to take him to the, next, to the next opportunity that was before him. Jesus didn't encourage Paul by telling him that everything is going to be okay. He didn't say, Paul, uh, you're, going to be, you're never going to have any troubles again. He just said, be encouraged, Paul. Be of good cheer because you're going to get to witness for me one more time, at least, of course, He's met witnesses several more times, but he's going to witness like you just did before uh, the Jewish leadership. You're going to be able to witness like that 
in Rome as well. That's what I put you here to do. And really, Paul goes through the same cycle over and over and over. We're going to see that in the next few chapters as we go forward in the book of Acts as Paul continues to repeat the process over as he makes his way to Rome. He continues to repeat what process? Well, standing for what he believes uh, and then attempting at least to witness and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It didn't matter what the circumstances were in Paul's life. That's what he did. And beloved, that's what we need to be doing today. There's a lot of different circumstances. There's people today that are busy, busy because they, uh, you know, their jobs require them to be. They're working more hours than ever, and they're trying to keep up. And, and this situation has just uh, stretched them to the limit. There's others that are in jeopardy of their job. You know, they can't open their restaurant. They can't go to work or whatever the case may be. And, and that causes a whole other set of stresses. And so there's all these other things that are going on in all of our lives, perhaps, uh, today it's a very different time but the reality is like the apostle paul no matter what is going on externally we must stay focused on what god has done inside of us internally and he has given us life and he has given us the gospel and we got to share that with every nation the mission is still the mission so do you know what's next do you know what's next i don't mean the rapture uh, or the next announcement about quarantine or what have you I, that's not what i'm talking about but until the rapture of the church there are two things that god's going to bring to you and to me, that we can know right now, today, that are going to be coming up next. And these are the same two things that God brought to Paul. And so what are they, you might ask? What is next? Well, I'm going to add a third thing at the end, so you're going to have to hang with me, but I'm going to give you the first two right now. The first thing that's that's next in Paul's life, and the thing that's always going to come in our life, I don't want to discourage you this morning, but is more trouble. But don't, don't stop there. The next thing that's coming after that is more opportunity. You see, the more trouble Paul found himself in, the more opportunity he had to preach the gospel. The more things didn't seem like they were going right, the more opportunity he had to share his faith. Paul is now in a city called Antipartus, near Caesarea, after the chief captain Claudius Lysias sent him there to avoid assassination by over 40 Jewish conspirators. That's a problem. That's some trouble. But God... Uh, intervened and miraculously, in essence, took him away from there overnight, shipping him to another city, so he was out of reach of those that wanted to murder him. It was here where we find Paul in good cheer as he once again has opportunity to hear from his accusers five days later. And that's where we find the text in Acts chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, I want to read the text, Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 22. We're going to be in Acts 24, verses 1 through 22. The Bible says, And after five days... Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with, certain, with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, See, that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law, but the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us, and with great violence took him away out of our hands. 
commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself, because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things wherein they now accuse me, but I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they have aught against me. Or else, let these same here say, if they have found any evil doing in me while I stand before the council, while, I'm sorry, while I stood before the council, Except it be for this one voice that I cried, standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called into question by you this day. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. I pray, God, that you would just bring us some some grace today, some understanding of what is next. This is a fairly long passage, and uh, I hope folks have been able to kind of hang with it. There's a lot here to unpack. I pray, God, that you would just... Help us today. Guide us in the Spirit of God. Apply the things from your word to the very situations that we're in today. And encourage the hearts of everyone who is listening. Lord, thank you for the faithful saints of HBF. Thank you for those that are joining us as guests today. We thank you so much for the reality of the resurrection. And Paul is preaching that in this passage. And that is what he is called in question about. For we believe that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, to die on the cross in our place, to be our sacrifice for sin. We believe not only that he died, but that he rose again the third day. This is the very thing that Paul is, is speaking about. We believe he's alive right now, and that, Heavenly Father, you have sent the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, to teach us all things whatsoever you've said to us. Lord, and I pray that you teach us now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's next? Well, you know what's next. More trouble. That's what's next. <clears throat> Here comes trouble. Five days later... After Ananias, the elders of Israel, and an orator named uh, Tertullus come down, and, and they want to they accuse Paul. It's not a good day for Paul. The boys, uh, now, the boys woke up five days ago wondering what happened to Paul. They, they had a conspiracy down in Jerusalem to actually execute him, and they had over 40 men ready to execute him at any given time. Bring him in. They had a whole plan. We talked about it last week, and they were going to kill Paul. And all those men wake up one day, the next day, and he's gone. God had removed him. And so Paul was now in a, a lot better situation. And now, five days later, <clears throat> those that were his accusers in Jerusalem have found their way uh, to meet with him uh, before Felix. And here, uh, once again, the accusations that were being, will be brought forth. 
So our, our, for point of study this morning, what I want to point out is that obviously there's, there's trouble ahead, and trouble comes with false adulation. I want you to see some of the problems that we have here with just the character of these men. It's not hard to find. God leaves it laying there right on the table. But we can see here in verse 1, it says, And after five days, Ananias the high priest descended with the elders and with, certain, with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he called forth, uh, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying... Now, you notice in verse 2, before he gets into the accusations, he spends uh, almost two and a half verses just really trying to butter up um, Felix. And, uh, and so uh, and, uh, Ananias knew he could not stand toe-to-toe with Paul. He, he, couldn't, uh, you know, he couldn't hit him in the mouth like he did in Acts chapter 23 and verse 4 and try to shut him down as he stood before Felix. And so uh, what he does is he hires an eloquent Jewish attorney with a Roman name uh, to bring um, this accusation against the Apostle Paul. And so his job uh, in verse 1 is to inform the governor, which is Felix, against Paul. But he's not going to inform him of truth because truth doesn't matter. First, Tertullus tries to, to butter him up with, these, with his flattering tongue, and then he's going to lie to him. The Jews, they don't, they don't live in great quietness, but that's the first thing that he says, of course, because he understands that he's wanting to f- Felix to feel good about himself. And he says, uh, seeing that by thee, meaning Governor Felix, we enjoy great quietness that, <clears throat> that very worthy, and that very many very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. He says, oh, Felix, you are the greatest governor we've ever had. And there could be nothing further from the truth. Nothing further from the truth. Later on, he accuses Paul of being a leader of the Nazarite sect. What he's referring to is the fact that Felix is putting down um, rebels uh, from Galilee, Jewish rebels. There's a lot of tension between the Jews and Felix. Uh, Josephus records that Felix was cruel to all the Jews and did not hesitate to employ assassins called the Sicarii. These men were noted thieves who would, in broad daylight, murder people at the will of Felix. They would come into a population at a festival or a gathering, and, and they would take out daggers, and then, and then they'd just, they just take people out, right in broad daylight. They were, they were very feared, and they did the bidding of Felix. They were associated with Felix. That's how he kept control of the Jews. You never knew when your number was up. And so these men were noted for this, and this, is the type of, uh, this was the type of reputation Felix had. That may be one of the reasons uh, that... Uh, uh, our, our, our attorney here, uh, Tertullus, was trying to be so kind. Ancient historians note that his cruelty um, would finally get him repa- replaced by the gentleman mentioned in the last verse of the chapter. His name is Festus, and we'll talk about him later. But his cruelty did nothing but anger the Jews and cause more and more relational problems. So I don't know how Tertullus could say, seeing that that by thee we enjoy great quietness and that and very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence with a straight face. But he did. And once again, the Jewish leaders choose uh, officially uh, that to, to, to go with the providence of Rome over the providence of God. It's interesting that in verse 3 he says, We accept it always, uh, and in all places... What's he, what's, what do they accept? Well, at the end of verse 2 it says uh, that uh, this nation by thy providence... We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. 
saying, you know, Governor Felix, you are the, you are the, the, the man in charge. We accept your authority over us, your providence. And, of course, they are more in league with Felix in this case than they, of course, are with God. And so um, Paul is offering Jesus to the, uh, to the, to the leaders of Israel. Uh, that's what his whole goal is once he finds himself in this council. He wants to share Jesus. He doesn't have a chance to get it out of his mouth before he gets wrapped on the mouth in Acts 23 and verse 1. But that's his heart. His heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. He's already written that in his epistle to the Romans, and he's already sent that um, to Rome. And so that's his heart, but he can't get that done. And, of course, Ananias didn't allow that to happen. But it is interesting that the Jews have chosen, once again, to side with uh, the Romans over the will of God. And they've chosen, again, a Roman leader over Jesus' will. Now, Stephen pointed out the murderous nature of the Jewish leadership in his message in Acts 7, uh, in verse 52, when he said, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have not slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now uh, been now the betrayers and murderers? So the, the, the deacon Stephen, when he preached before the Sanhedrin, he laid... Uh, the responsibility for Jesus' death at the feet of the Sanhedrin. Why? Why? Well, because they were in league with Rome. And even though the Romans did the actual physical execution, God says, I know who was also behind that. Not to let anything off of the Romans, of course. Uh, Pilate tried to wash his hands of it. Uh, He couldn't do it either. But definitely, the the Romans were siding on the wrong side of of God's... Talk about providence. They were on the wrong side of providence. They were once again killing, not just a prophet, but killing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, <clears throat> the leadership uh, also is said to, to uh, literally side themselves out of their own mouth with Caesar. In John chapter 19 and verse 15, uh, it says, But they cried out, Away with him, speaking of Jesus, Away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? Because Jesus admitted, I, You say I'm the king of the Jews, so be it. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So this was a pattern for the Sanhedrin. This was a pattern for the Jewish leadership. They would gladly choose Rome to be their king over what God had in store for them, which was Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of people today, they want to talk about being religious like the Sanhedrin, but they don't really want Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They want to be religious. Man, the Sanhedrin, they were religious. They had a lot of history. They had a lot of religion wrapped around what they did. But Jesus Christ was not the sinner. God's will was not the sinner. God's word, though they had the word of God, was really not the sinner of what they believed and certainly not the way they acted. And Paul actually brings that out in his own defense. Everyone in the room, including Felix, knew that Tertullus was a liar before he even started his case. Before he even got to the issue at hand. Uh, they knew that he was a liar. And I found it interesting in Psalms chapter uh, 12 in the Old Testament. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 12 and verse 2, they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart do they speak. You know, it's interesting that the Bible, the Bible uh, speaks in Psalms chapter 12 about the, the terrible condition of the nation of Israel. And he brings up these folks that, that flatter with their lips, that flatter with their, their tongue. But he says they have a double heart. Their heart's not right. It's not pure. It's not focused. You know what integrity is? It's it's, it's to be singly focused. 
And, and in the Old Testament, in Psalm chapter 12, God says, your heart is not focused. It's going too many different directions. It's, it's double-hearted. It's like the Bible says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. God needs our attention completely focused on him, especially in times of trouble. We need to have our affection set on things above, not on the things of this earth. The text goes on to say, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Well, that is exactly where the leadership was. As a matter of fact, that's often where we are. Who is Lord over us? I am my own man. I will take care of myself. You know, ultimately, the Bible tells us that God will take care of us. And he'll take care of anybody that has a flattering tongue and a double heart. You know, you might know the Lord had a few words stored up in Psalm 12 for those who try to use language. To prevail over God in his word. Paul, as any good Bible believer, would have none of that. As we go through the entire chapter of chapter 24, as you go through his whole life, he would not be given to that. He was not rude. He wasn't disrespectful by any means. He was certainly polite, as we all should be. He was kind. He was charitable. All of those things applied to Paul. But he wasn't flattering of the leaders. He wasn't trying to manipulate them. He wasn't using the gift of God or his own personal gifts to try to manipulate anybody. As a matter of fact, he wrote of this, Paul, as a good Bible-believing Christian, as a man who understood God's values and inside of him was the Holy Ghost and walked in the Spirit of God, wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 5, and he says, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, or a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Paul says, when we came to town, we were not, we were not trying to smooth talk you, man. We weren't, we weren't not trying to manipulate you. What we brought you was the unadulterated truth. We came as messengers of God, as people speaking God's word. Beloved, today, more than any time, we need to have true words, focused words. Man, we need to, be, we need to make sure we're not giving people flattering words, trying to manipulate people. People need the words of truth. They need God's truth. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. Paul wasn't a jerk, but he was able to stay focused on the matter at hand, and that was Jesus Christ in a time of trouble. Now, as Tertullus appeals to Felix's clemency, I find that an interesting word. Clemency means fairness, and it can literally be defined sweet reasonable, reasonableness. <laughs> and the last thing Felix was, it was sweet or reasonable. Uh, and so uh, that's what he says. Hey, we appeal you know, to your clemency. And so he has these last words in verse 4. Uh, he says, just give me a few words here. I want to speak a little bit. And, of course, now comes the accusation. So trouble comes from false adulation. When someone's just, just stroking your ego and just, just flattering you, you better be careful because they may have a double heart. You may need to be careful with that. So be careful with that. But, but also trouble comes not only with false adulation, but also with false accusation. And that's also what comes from uh, Felix in this chapter. Well, you see verse uh, chapter 24 and verse 5. He says, For we have found this man a pestilent fellow. Man, I hate pests, right? We get, a, we get them and, uh, running around our building here at the church. And uh, you, you might get them at home. You know, the, pretty soon the mosquitoes are going to be out. And you're going to be like, man, what was that? 
It's just bothering you. It's pest. That's what there's. You know, Paul's causing problems. I mean, he's bothering. Rome is big, and they rule with a rod of iron. But Paul, man, he's he's annoying. You just want to. You just want to. You want to get rid of this guy, Felix. He's he's a problem in your kingdom, and so they charge him with sedition. A false charge of sedition, and that's what he says in verse five. He says, "For we have found this man a pestilent, pestilent fellow, and a mover of sedition among the Jews." Throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So charge number one, again, is sedition. A a violation of Roman law. He is a pest who stirs up people against you, Felix, against the kingdom of Rome, by messing up what he's doing with the Jews. He's a global leader against against the, the program of this kingdom, and of course the Jews. And he is part of those who come from Nazareth, the historically rebellious you know, gun-grabbing, Bible-thumping uh, group <laughs> up in Galilee. You can't pry the Bible nor their gun out of their cold, dead hands. I mean, these people are noted, you know, for being a little bit tenacious. And uh, that's who Paul's leading. Never mind the fact that Paul didn't even frequent that area, nor was he, indeed, at all, uh, part of that sect uh, that he was referring to. The second charge that he has is sectarianism, the, viola- the violation of Jewish law, the charge that he is setting the Jews against themselves, being part of the, the Nazarites. There's absolutely no evidence of that, of course, but he is a Pharisee from Tar- uh, uh, Tarsus, and uh, the last thing that he's doing is running around with a bunch of Galileans. I mean, this is the most absurd thing uh, that could be said, but they charge it anyway, and uh, just because they say it, they think it's true. Until the and, and, and there's no, no evidence of that at all. As a matter of fact, up until Paul got saved, he hung out with the very people who were accusing him right now. That was the people that Paul was hanging with, the leadership, the elders of the nation of Israel. Since then, of course, as in his own testimony, he was taken from Jerusalem. He's been all over the world. He's not been hanging around uh, doing, um, uh, involved in, in the nationalistic work in Israel. The third thing they charge him with is sacrilege. The violation of God's law, the false charge that Paul was profaning the temple by bringing Gentiles in. He mentions that down in in verse 5 as well, or in verse uh, 6. It says, Who also have gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. And so he's in violation according to Tarlos. He's violated the Roman law. He's violated our our sacred Hebrew law, and then he's also violating the word of God and God's law because he went to the temple, and uh, we should judge him very harshly. And so all of these bound, bound together to uh, agree with Tertullus. It wasn't just his argument. Uh, they had the opportunity to, to confirm that in verse 6. And at the end, or verse 7, it says, The chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great Violence took him away out of our hands. We could have handled this if, if, if you all wouldn't have gotten involved. And so he, he, he gets into all of this uh, testimony. And then he says in verse 8, Commanding the, his accusers to come unto thee by examining of thyself, mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also, it says in verse 9, assented, saying, These things are so. It's true. Everything he says, everything Tertullus says is absolutely true. And there wasn't a shred of evidence in any of it. So now they've all banded together to lie against, against the Apostle Paul. You know, Proverbs 11 and verse 21 says, Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. The Bible believer can always count on trouble. 
but he can also count on God to deliver us out of trouble. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.1, Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. You know, this is a time of trouble for many. But like Paul, uh, but we like Paul, I'm sorry, know that the Lord stands with us. And he tells us, he says, be of good cheer. This life is filled with trouble, but as we, as, as we are partaking of God's goodness, you know what he's doing? He is building. He's in a building process. And it's important that we are cheerful in, in the way we handle the things that are before us. You know, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, one of the admonitions there that Nehemiah gave the children of Israel is they realized that perhaps they're under some sort of judgment of God. You know, they heard the word of God. They didn't really feel good about what God was doing in their midst. And God was actually trying to build them. God forbid the Christians should, would be in a situation right now where we're like, oh man, the church just can't go forward. Quite the opposite. This is a great time for the church to go forward. This is the best time for the church to go forward. This is ideal circumstances for the church to go forward. So Paul or Nehemiah had to tell the, the Old Testament Jews in, in Jerusalem as they were building the wall around uh, Jerusalem. He says, for this day is holy unto our Lord. The word of God is true. Neither be ye sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Be glad that you are engaged, that you're breathing. The God and His providence placed you at such a time as this because He wants to use you to do that next thing. What's the coming next? Well, it's your opportunity to witness, it's your opportunity to be like Christ, to be Christ, not just like Christ, but to be Christ to a lost and dying world. You know, Nehemiah was comforting the children of Israel in a new day. They had done so much wrong in relation to obedience to God's word as a nation. They seem depressed. Oh, God forbid there would be one depressed this morning. I mean, maybe you're just like, oh, what did I do wrong? What did I, hey, listen, you didn't do anything wrong. We all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. So if you haven't been saved, the thing that you've done wrong is not getting saved. But if, once you're saved, it's a matter of confessing and forsaking the sin. If you're not walking in the Spirit, well, then do repent of it and get it right so that God can use you right now. Many Christians may be perplexed while we stop the world economy for a, 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 to save elderly folks, which is a good thing to do. It's a noble thing to do. And then they're frustrated. But why don't we do that for babies? You know why? How can we stop the world for elderly but not stop the world for babies being born out of the womb? Okay, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of frustration. But listen, beloved. It's our job to cast all those cares on the Lord. Why? Because we know that he cares for us. We can't get all sidetracked and frustrated. Those are all both the very important topics. The issue of COVID-19 is important. The issue of letting babies die outside the womb. That's a big deal. Murder and infanticide is not a good thing. God will judge people for that. God will judge nations for that. Absolutely. So what does a Christian do when they face the trouble? Oh, they do what Paul was supposed to do. The next thing. I'm glad you asked. The, the next thing that we got to do is look for the opportunity. There'll be trouble, and there's always going to be an opportunity that comes with it because God has called us to triumph over trouble. Remember Romans twelve fourteen. Blessed be them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. This is not a time to curse. This is not a time to wring your hands. This is a time to love one another and to love our neighbors. You know, more trouble is what, is what came in verses 1 through 9. Paul just got out of trouble, and then he's right back in it. Paul will repeat this same scenario a few more times. And each, with each one, he's going to have an opportunity to share the gospel. So what comes with trouble? What's next? Well, more opportunity. In Acts chapter 24, verse 10, uh, we see here that the Apostle Paul, 
now answers for himself. And now notice at the end of the verse 10, he says, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. You see, with more trouble comes more opportunity to share the love of Christ, more opportunity to represent Christ to the powers that be. You know, Paul was now able to stand before Felix. His, his attention is now not just on the people accusing him, but now he has a Roman governor. And so he's got a new audience. His audience has expanded, and he's able in this trouble to address people that otherwise he wouldn't have been able to talk to. I just had a, a, someone share with, a, with me about the, uh, our little COVID tract. And they were out sharing those probably at Walmart or wherever they were. And, and they said, you know what? People are open right now. They took the tract and they, they actually looked at it. They were open to talking and receiving the word of God, receiving the message of Christ. Paul was sensitive to that. There's people that are listening and they're sensitive to receiving the message of Christ. Why? Because they're troubled. They live in a life of trouble. Felix was a man that, whose life was just full of trouble. He had enemies everywhere he looked, and he was an enemy. What a great time to share the gospel to someone like that. So I want to just talk about Paul here because he has the opportunity to represent Christ to the powers that be in verses 10 through 21. Now, we already read that this earlier, so I'm not going to reread that, but I want you to note that Paul was patient. Paul cooperates with the Roman government. He doesn't fight against him. He says, sure, I'm happy to give an answer. Now, he's already written Romans 13, so God, God has already preserved those words. Uh, those, the rulers are not a terror to good works. He's already established that, that if we do good, we don't have anything to, to be afraid of, that, that we'll get praise of the same. So Paul, with a clear conscience, is willing to stand before Felix. Knowing how evil and wicked the man is, he says, hey, you've been a governor for a long time. I'm happy to answer before you. Why? Because I got a clear conscience before God and in the sight of men. This morning, do you have a clear conscience before God? In the sight of men. Right now during this COVID-19 crisis, it's a time to submit to the powers that be. Not fight against them, not violate uh, the physical distancing regulations and good hygiene. And God forbid we ever, you know, violate good hygiene. We should all be doing that. And, and uh, charity towards our neighbors. Right? This is a time to do what we do best. And that is be submissive to God. To love God and to love people. That includes submitting to the powers that be. Paul doesn't give any pushback. Why? Because he knows that these guys are going to save his life. You know, a lot of people think Paul was just some wild-eyed guy, just ready to die at any given moment. But we find that that's actually not the case. He's willing to die as long as he's on mission. But he's keeping his life for, so he can get where he needs to go. And he's using the skills that God has given him to do that. So we see that Paul is, is very patient and, and, and he's very wise in how he deals with the powers that be. He's also got a great countenance. The disposition was cheerful, right? He's cheerful. Why? Because Jesus already given him word. Paul, you're going to go through trouble and you're going to overcome it over and over. You're going to get to Rome. He gives evidence of his relationship with Christ in his opening line, even if it's only between him and the Lord. I love that when he says, you know what? I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. You know, I know that the apostle Paul, we only know because the Holy Spirit's preserved it for us in chapter 23 and verse 11, that Jesus Christ appeared to Paul and said, Paul, be of good cheer. Felix doesn't know that. The, 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 the folks gathered to accuse him from Jerusalem don't know that. But you know what? Paul knows that. And at the end of the day, when you find yourself in trouble, you find yourself under a lot of pressure, the person that's going to comfort you the most is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And where are you going to get that comfort? Well, I can tell you, you're going to get it from his word. You're going to get it from his word. Is there any precious promises throughout the last few weeks, the last few days, maybe the last few minutes 
that God has just lifted out of his word. He's put it in your heart so that you can go forward in faith. Man, that's what Paul was doing. He was clutching to those promises that God given him. Now, Paul knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament from beginning to end. He was very eloquent. He had a lot of Bible memorization, as did his accusers. But that's not what he was clutching to. He was clutching to the words that Jesus had given him that were promises to him personally. You see, this issue of coming over, overcoming trouble and finding the opportunities happens when we love God's word. Because when we love his word, we love him. And when we love God and we love his word, then the doors are going to open. People are going to hear the gospel and people will get saved. And Paul was very cheerful to answer for himself. His countenance revealed that. Paul is encouraged in trouble because it gives him opportunity to finish the message that got short, short changed in Acts 23 and verse 1. In Acts 23, 1, he wanted to preach. He wanted to tell them the same things that he tells them right here about the resurrection, but he couldn't. He got shut down. So God has now opened the door again. And Paul's of good cheer. You know, in, Acts, uh, uh, in Isaiah 65, 18, another passage where God actually commands people to be happy. He says, be, but be ye glad and rejoice forever. You know, when you get saved, that, that's, you're going to be rejoicing forever. You might as well get started now. It's a bummer when Christians are like, oh, oh. Now, I understand things are difficult. I'm not saying every day is, you know, you got to wake up and be phony, right? Don't be, don't be phony like Tertullus was. But the reality is we should have the joy, 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 joy down in our soul, right? And, man, when we do, people see it. People know it. More importantly, they want it. And it's not us that they want it. They want Jesus Christ who lives in us. So regardless of our trouble... Man, let's allow the fruit of the Spirit, right? The love, the joy, the peace. Galatians chapter 5 lays it all out, all nine of them out for us. Let that permeate our life. I think that's why Paul was so cheerful, but he was also very eloquent. Paul answered for himself because he could. Ananias knew knew this, which is why he brought Tertullus to start with, to try to mitigate Paul's skill as a lawyer. But that was obviously not possible. Paul... Paul's response was orderly from Acts chapter 24 and verse 12 through Acts 24 through verse 21. Paul establishes the elements of his defense decently and in order. And there's no witness to evil. I have, I have, uh, I have evidence <clears throat> that he's done nothing but good. Right? He's got all the things right there. This is who I am. This is what I've done. This is a religious dispute, not a legal dispute. Before it's over with, he says, guys... Uh, this is just the same thing I told you in Jerusalem. It's about the resurrection. No, look at the text with me down in verse, uh, in verse 21, right after that. He says, he says uh, in verse 22, And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the utmost of your matter. And he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty that he should forbid none of these acquaintances, uh, none of his acquaintances, to minister or come unto him. And so, by the way, Paul—I do believe Paul, a lot of the commentators think Paul didn't know these guys. I think Paul knew most of these guys. They were his acquaintances. He knew who they were, and they knew who he was. So Paul was orderly in his response. He laid out an incredible legal argument, but Paul's response was more than just orderly. It was credible. Um, Tertullus's response was, uh, it was very orderly, but it wasn't true. Paul's was true. Paul set forth a timeline. He's like, hey, guys, 12 days ago, I was in Jerusalem. I showed up to Jerusalem 12 days ago, and I went to the temple, 
And I offered an offering. I mean, I was there by myself. There was no one else with me. There weren't any Jews. This story's a sham. And by the way, the people that that, uh, should have been been accusing me aren't even here. Anybody else got any charges? And he lays it out. There's no way I could be a sedition, a ringleader of the Nazarites. I'd just been here for 12 days. And he just lays everything out. And he's very articulate and... He knows uh, how to speak in legal terms as well. So he's a visitor to town. He's had no Gentiles with him in the court, and he was making no trouble. And he does point to the Jews from Asia. And, of course, it seems like Felix may have already had a little inkling of what was going on there. So Paul's response, it wasn't only orderly, and it wasn't only a very good, credible response, but Paul's response was also biblical in verses 14 and 15. In verses 14 and 15, Paul's very clear that, hey guys, I, I, I will confess unto thee after the way which they call heresy. This is a Bible dispute. So worship I, the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. I believe the Bible. That is the problem here. As I actually believe the Bible, I believe there's a resurrection, verse 15, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Now, of course, he's speaking of the Pharisees because the Sadducees didn't believe that. But the reality is this, is that Paul was very clear that this is a biblical argument. Paul makes that point in Daniel chapter 12, one of many verses that Paul could have cited, should they have asked. It says, And many of them that slept in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The resurrection is clearly established in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, in the book of Daniel, over and over again. Paul's like saying, this is a biblical issue. I believe in the resurrection. That's why we're arguing. And Paul's response was also undeniable. Why? Because facts are a stubborn thing. And when one deals in truth, it's hard for the lies to stick. So Paul's response, it was also reasonable. It was reasonable. Nobody argued it. Felix is like, let's put a park on this and uh, I'll get back to you. When Lysias gets here, Paul, hey, you're free to move about the country as long as you're with the centurion. And we're going to keep you under house arrest, kind of like many of us today. We're under kind of a, a quarantine. So Paul's response was reasonable. Felix understood enough about the belief of that way in a resurrected Jew named Jesus that he thought, well, this is certainly a religious, not a legal matter, and I'm not going to mess with it right now. And so it's not until a a lost man realizes that Jesus is Lord, that he understands he is greater than the law. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith because he fulfilled the law. Felix sees the matter as a religious dispute, but the reality is, and we find out later that Felix will fear and tremble because he'll eventually realize that Jesus is not a religion. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible says actually, In verse 25, and as he reasoned of the righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. You see, Felix is a guy who likes to put things off. Kick it down the road. Well, you know what? This is a messy dispute here, and I've got trouble in Judea anyway. I'll tell you what. Let's just kick this can down the road. I'll get back with you, gentlemen. Thanks for coming up here. Uh, Go on back home. I'll get back with you when uh, Claudius Lysias gets here. Then later on, Paul's witnessing to him, and he's so convicted, he realizes this is not just a religion. This is a person named Christ. He is the God-man, and he rose again, and he's going to judge me. And he's in trembling fear because there's a greater king than Caesar. 
It's not Apollos. It is Jesus. He is the God of the universe, man. He's fearful. He's like, oh, let me just put this up. Paul, I'll call you when I need you. And he just pushes the gospel away. You know what? That may happen even in a time of trouble. But keep preaching the gospel. You know, there's more opportunity at a time like this to present Christ to people that we love as well. Now, when you look at this text and you look at the trouble and all the tension, where are the people that Paul loves? You know what? He loves all these people because God loves all these people. The Bible tells us in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You mean, you mean to tell me that Paul loved these people that were accusing him, that were bringing him trouble? Absolutely. So much so, he says in Romans, if I could give up my salvation to get them saved, I would do it. But I can't. I mean, Paul loved his accusers. He loved these people. He wanted them to be saved. His heart's desire and prayer for Israel is they might be saved. Man, the Bible tells us. Jesus told us, right? You've got to love your Enemies, why? Because, well, we were enemies with God and he loved us. Before we were even born, Christ died for us. He died on the cross so that we could have eternal life. Now, I've already set forth many times that Paul's love for Israel was, was recorded, right? We know Romans 9 through 11 speaks to that and God's love for Israel. And it's a parallel. The, the heart that God has for Israel is the kind of heart that Paul had for Israel. No surprise. But just practically speaking, let me give you just some things to think about. Because I just I, I was listening to the governor's declaration, and one of the saddest things I heard yesterday was was the one of the the members of his team got up and mentioned that the hotlines are just ringing off the hook for domestic problems. DFS's doors will be open. We will try to keep everybody working because we have had more hotline calls. It's taken us by surprise, the lady said. And so we're going to do everything we can to meet those needs, the family services. I'm up here at the store and I. I'm looking around and I, and I see people with children and I can tell that man is not stable and that is probably his son. The family's not used to dealing with each other. It's dysfunctional. It's not right. It's not normal. Man, we need Christ in the center of our relationships. That's how we function in trouble. Any trouble. It doesn't matter if there's a coronavirus, a nuclear bomb. It doesn't matter what the trouble. Jesus is always the answer. You say, well, Brian, that's awful simple. That sounds like something you learn in the Sunday school class. Exactly. Except you come to him as a child. You're not going to have any part of him. You know the kind of love that God gives us? The kind of love that works even when people falsely accuse us? Paul was falsely accused. He still loved his brethren. You know what? Even when they physically abused him, in Acts 23 and verse 1, Paul still loved them. Paul still sought their salvation. He was still bummed that he couldn't finish that message. And Jesus said, cheer up, cheer up, man. You're going to get to continue to minister the love of Christ. We've gathered testimonies from Arissa. Men that at one time were beating, desiring to kill Christians, have gotten saved. And now they're the ones being persecuted. And they continuously just love their enemies to Christ. Now, I'm not talking about domestic violence and things like that. I, I mean, obviously, there's laws to protect people under those circumstances. But the reality is, in many places in the world, there is no safety net. And many of our brothers and sisters in Christ suffer a lot. But it is the love of Christ that often wins those enemies. And if they don't receive the love of Christ, then like Felix, they'll stand before a holy God without any defense. I'm in no way encouraging anyone that's suffering in a domestic situation, by the way, uh, to stay in that situation. So I want to be clear about that. 
Uh, God has provided laws and protection for women and children in that situation, which is why the governor's aide yesterday was saying we're leaving the, the hotlines on. I thought, man, that's a sad situation. A child comes home from school, and the environment at home is worse than they had at school. Man, that's a shame. That's trouble. That's trouble. You know, Paul loved his enemies even when they rudely interrupted him. <laughs> and so Paul just picked up the message. And he, he loved his enemies even when, they, even when they struggled to understand him. You know, Felix, he, he couldn't understand what Paul was saying. He almost did, but his heart got hard. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 that, you know what, folks, they don't know the gospel because it's hid. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, not hailing the word of God deceitfully. We're not flattering. We're not trying to, we can be kind and we can be tender in, in our speech, but we're not flattering, right? We're being truthful, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifest, manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's what Paul said. I have a clear conscience before God in the sight of men. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe, lest the lie of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's what people need to see is Jesus. They need to see his face through our face. So more opportunity comes. <clears throat> uh, that's the next thing. When there's trouble, there's opportunity. There's more opportunity to present Christ to people who will listen. You know, Paul utilized the relationships that he has. In verse 24, it says, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of the right of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. And then in verse 26, it says, He hoped also that money should have been given of him, or given him of Paul, that he might lose him, whereof he sent him the oftener and communed with him. We get to see that, that Felix's true heart, his true heart was for money. But there's this, this, this lady named Drusilla. She's famous. She was actually, she's only 19 years old, history tells us, and she was married uh, to a Syrian king. She already, at 19, had divorced that king and married Felix. She's in the Roman power structure. Her brother is King Agrippa II, uh, and, and her sister is, is uh, in the next chapter. Beatrice, I believe, is her name. And so this lady has a lot of influence. But you know what? I think she wanted to hear more of what Paul had to say. Because later on, Paul's going to stand before her brother and preach the gospel to him as well. And he's going to be gripped in the heart. Now, Herod Agrippa I murdered James, the apostle. I mean, Paul is swimming with some sharks. But God is allowing him, Bernice is the, is the sister's name, uh, and uh, he's allowing Paul to have audience with these people. Why? Not because they have high power alone, but because they need to hear the gospel. I tell you, the people we need to be praying for in places of high office right now, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. There's a lot of things going on. and I don't care what your political ideas are, it doesn't even matter. You should be praying for those in authority. That's what Paul commanded. 
Paul's praying for Nero. Nero's going to kill him. Paul's praying for these people. These people are going to kill his relatives. I mean, Paul uh, understands and, uh, and gives us insights on how to handle trouble and take advantage of the opportunities that come with it. See, God could trust Paul with the gospel, which is why he allowed him to take it to the principalities and powers. You say, well, how do you know that, Brian? Well, because Proverbs 29, or 22 and verse 29 tells us, See thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings, and he shall not stand before mean men, meaning men that are not of high esteem. You know, Paul was faithful in a, in a sport like football or basketball. Who do you put the, balls, who do you put the, the, the ball in the hand of? Well, we say we put it in the guy with the hot hand, right? You put it in the hands of the people you can trust it. If someone fumbles the ball in football, you don't give it to them over and over again. right? You put it in the hands of people who God can trust with it. God has given us the gospel, and he's entrusted it to us for such a time as this. And we need to make sure we preach the gospel and take advantage of the opportunities that he gives us in times of trouble. Paul presented the gospel to those who would listen, regardless of their response. Even though Felix didn't receive the gospel, it didn't keep Paul from coming back Week after week, and, and trying to, as he's trying to extort a bribe out of Paul, Paul probably just keeps on preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. Paul continues to preach the gospel. Paul presented the gospel regardless of the motive. You see, believers may not always have the money, but God makes undeniable the power that cannot be bought. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, Peter He said this, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man, you know what? Christians may not always have everything they feel like they need. They may not have enough toilet paper, you know, whatever it may be. But I tell you what, the most important thing a Christian has is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a great time to be sharing it. So more offered, you know what happens with... with, uh, more trouble, it provides more opportunity to suffer patiently. Notice the last verse, and we'll be done. But after two years, uh, Portius Festus came into Felix's room. By the way, you know why? Because Felix was so mean to the Jews, they finally got him removed. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Left Paul bound. You know, Paul suffered patiently. Paul's eloquence nor his obedience would find him released expeditiously from Roman custody. Oh, he could have probably paid a bribe. He could have used the church's money to try to get out of trouble, but he didn't. He went ahead and stayed the course cheerfully. We, like Paul, need to suffer patiently. We need to minister to people that God is bringing in our spheres of influence and be an example to them of what it is to be cheerful, to be joyful. And to have the fruit of the Spirit manifest in our life. And be an example of believers in word and deed in our neighborhoods, in our jobs. And when we go back to school, in our classes, in your online classes. To your teachers. To the people that are over you. It takes humility to live like that. Paul was a humble man. I pray that we would be as well. Now when we started the message, I told you two things. But I want to give you the third thing. We'll be done. You know, what is next? Well, trouble's always going to come. If it isn't this thing, it's the next thing. And when trouble comes, you know what? As a Christian, we need to make sure we seize those opportunities to share the gospel of Christ over and over again. But the glorious thing about this is that ultimately it's going to result in God's glory. And so what comes next? Not only trouble, not only opportunity, but God's glory. 
May God be glorified. You know, the current situation is no different today than any other situation. God's called us to be of good cheer, to continue to share the love of Christ and be there for the people that, will, that want to hear. Paul's circumstances, they didn't really change. He's still in Roman custody. He still has more court hearings. He still has more people that uh, want to abuse him, disbelieve him, all kinds of things. But you know what? He's happy. Why? Because he's doing what he knows God saved him to do. Now, my question this morning is, are you doing what God saved you to do? If you're hiding in fear, then you're not. I'm not saying you should leave your house. But I'm saying if you're fear locked down in anxiety, you're all depressed. Hey, listen, God has more for you than that. And that's why the church exists, is to give you the words of life. Make sure you're plugging into the word of God. Make sure you're taking advantage. Right now, there's more online services than ever. There's no reason not to be plugging in at least virtually, and then when this season ends, get in a local church so that God can take you where you need to go. Because God's calling people not only to be saved, but to be disciples, to follow him in and through any trouble and come out on the other side, seizing those opportunities for his honor and glory, for the kingdom of God. And someday when we get to heaven, we're going to have such a party rejoicing. Why? Because of all that God got us through. It's going to be an incredible thing. Man, don't drop the ball now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I want to thank you for this time just to meditate upon your word to give ourselves wholly to it where there's going to be times of trouble and there's going to be times of opportunity that come with that trouble and lord we pray god that you would give us uh, opportunity to bring honor and glory to your name lord i pray for anyone that's listening this morning that may not know jesus as lord and savior this is primarily geared to people who are born again christians but if there's anyone that may be listening maybe a religious person uh, like those that represented the sanhedrin that uh, maybe have a, a religion but don't really have a relationship with Jesus, I pray today that they would be saved. Lord, I pray, God, for someone who may be in a position of power. Maybe they've somehow come across this, this feed and, uh, and, uh, and they really know in their heart that they're not ready to stand before a holy God. Well, they can get ready by trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, bowing their knee and confessing with their mouth, Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I pray, God, if there's anybody listening today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would uh, call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. They would contact us if need be so we can help them understand what it is to be born again. Lord, I pray for the saints of God this morning as we meet in our houses, that you would equip us, that you would encourage us in your word. This was not a, a donut dinner. This was a, this was a meaty message, Lord. And I pray, God, that we continue to think about it and meditate upon it, to give ourselves wholly to it so that we can be who you saved us to be and do what you called us to do in times of trouble, seizing these opportunities to accomplish your mission in your power for your honor and glory. When we make mistakes, Lord, I pray, God, you give us the grace to repent and correct them. Lord, I pray for families and fathers that are <clears throat> not in the positions they need to be in, Lord, that you would use this season to help us get right with God, get right with one another, to put families back together that need to be back together. Oh, Lord, if this goes right, it's a glorious thing, and if it goes wrong, it's a Malachi thing, chapter 4. Lord, don't allow the hearts of the fathers and the sons to drift apart. Lord, draw them together and not apart during this season. Lord, we know what the devil wants and we know what God wants. Thank you for illustrating that in the Godhead. We thank you and we praise you so much for your love for us, for your love for the families, for your love for the church. We ask a blessing They're on the reading, the hearing, and the living of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.